Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. You know that feeling when you drive down a nice neighborhood and you see that one beautiful lawn perfectly trimmed? What must it feel like to come home to that lawn, knowing the work you've put into it and the pride that comes with that? Well, the same can apply to your body. Keeping yourself properly trimmed and smelling great not only gives you the confidence to step up when you need to, it might surprise and delight your partner. So use Manscaped. Manscaped is the official sponsor of our podcast, and it's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so you won't nick or snag your nuts. That's fun to say. And don't use the same trimmer on your nuts that you use on your face because... Let's be honest, that's kind of gross. So right now, you get 20% off with free shipping by using the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's armchair. Always use the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. I'm going to be a dad any day now, and I am more excited about these Pelicans than Pat McAfee, and I'm going to tell you why. But first, uh, the renovations renegade, the man who tiled his father's entire bathroom wall, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's up, man? I am enjoying my first day off in like two weeks, right? So I go up to the Pel parents did all that work as you just mentioned come back and i've had to move my mother-in-law out of her apartment by the end of february so today's literally the first day i get to breathe and drink some coffee and just basically walk around look at my dogs for a few hours not doing anything i'm loving it and meanwhile your friends grub and preston are putting you to work putting you on the radio you're going to be on gus cattengale in 15 minutes so always working even when you're relaxing yeah it's fine that's not work to me man <laughs> sweet also joining us graphic artist and uh designer and proud pup parent to two knuckleheads mr kevin barrios i don't remember the last time i talked to you i know it's been a while i always get uh you know i'm on the grub grub team uh lately <laughs> our, our hours haven't been uh lining up very well you and i yeah those late night hours are not going well for me and uh what fisher says is once i'm a dad he says i'm gonna be up at all hours of the night so maybe we'll be able to connect better in the future uh but for right now uh yeah morning time early afternoon is usually my thing shout out to grub who we just mentioned who celebrated his anniversary this week and david fish who is here in mouseland right now i'm hoping to connect with him in the next day or two he is living his best life his daughter emerson just fought darth vader today so shout out to them uh let's let's talk basketball now ollie uh let's get this out of the way we know the Pelicans are a playoff caliber team when healthy, but just how far are they from being a contending level team who can stand up against the likes of Milwaukee and the two towers in LA? Man, you reaching for the top, dude. Let's first <laughs> get to like, I don't know, the OKC Thunder and the Rockets and gosh, even the Memphis Grizzlies at this point, because the Pelicans right now are having problems beating teams that have records better than 500. I didn't think about it until last night's loss, and I suddenly got stuck doing the recap, and so I wanted to look at some stuff. And yeah, since Zion's debut against the Spurs, the Pelicans are two and six against teams with winning records, and it shows. You know, I wasn't—I didn't have any internet. I was telling Kevin earlier. I'm sure a lot of you guys know because the uh, public Wi-Fi wasn't working in Smoothie King Center, so I just got to watch the game. All my undivided attention was right there, and I really saw just a lot of mistakes by a young and experienced team. It's just simple stuff, positioning, making the right pass, a smart pass, just, just doing the basic things. And I feel like if the Pelicans can clean that up, that, that's going to be the first step. You clean that up, then you start worrying about, you know, Ingram shooting a heck of a lot of shots as to where Drew maybe isn't as aggressive and just the individual problems or things that need to be ironed out, let's say. So long story short, Preston, they, they're obviously in contention for that AC, but they're nowhere near yet. I think the level of that 51 playoff 
or that 51 win regular season team that say like 538 and other predictive models have said, because they're simply just making too many errors for the time being at least. Yeah, for sure. Let's go over to Kevin and uh, David Grubb just joined us. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, Grubb, we're just talking about how far the Pelicans are from being truly contending level teams. Let's swing back to Kevin. Uh, Kevin, Although the the game is close at times, the Pelicans generally hang around with the Los Angeles Lakers. In the fourth quarter, these guys have just blown the doors off the New Orleans Pelicans. How close are the Pelicans truly to this Lakers team? Do you think it's just a matter of them just toying with them, or do you think it's just a matter of the Pelicans learning to close better? Well, I think you're also well, – we are missing uh, we were missing JJ. It was, uh, you know, obviously hurt us last night because we could not – hit a three to save our lives uh, for most of the game. Um, so that was a, that was a big thing we were missing out on, but also, you know, until Zion learns to play team defense, which that's not a knock on him. I mean, he's a rookie. He's only played a handful of games until you have that guy who's going to be a, a focal point of your team, be able to function better as a defender. Um, you're not going to make that leap. I'm not saying he won't get there. I'm just saying it's too early to really expect that from him. And you see the flaws on the court. And and also he needs to be a better uh, defensive rebounder. He's great on the offensive boards. I mean, sometimes the reason he doesn't get rebounds is because Derek Favors is there getting the rebounds. But other times there's, uh, you know, he's not boxing out or he's just not in position to get the ball. Um, so like we have a lot of young guys that just need to take that next step in development. I think, uh, we're a lot like that um, Sacramento team with uh, Jason Williams rookie year when they first got Chris Weber, where we're just like this dynamic, fun team that needs to grow and needs to uh, improve at certain positions uh, for the long haul to really be in that uh, contender spot. Um, but we have, you know, pieces in place and we have, you know, a, a clear path to getting there. It's just, will everything click and will we make the right moves? Will we be able to, upgrade at the right spots to uh to really be contenders but even if we're not it looks like we have like a long-term future of being successful and fun you know like you know I always say like the goal really should be to be the Portland Trailblazers where they're always in contention always in discussion always fun always winning um and and because you know in a small market you have to deal with those kind of things where you're not able to really lure that big star that's going to really bolt you into being a consistent contender without, you know, extreme luck. Um, so I, I think the future is bright. I don't know how long it would take for us to be a serious contender, but if Zion can make a, a great leap next year on defense, then we're really heading in the right path in that oh. sense. Now we welcome onto the podcast David Grubb, host of Hard in the Paint and contributor to the birdrights.com and Crescent City Sports. What's up, Grubb? Happy anniversary. It looks like we lost him, actually. Oh, never mind. Okay. Do we have Ali still? <laughs> yeah, you still got me. Okay, great. Let's go ahead and transition from contending level teams. Obviously, we'll get back into the playoff chase, but right now, just want to focus on Zion, on his performance. Kevin mentioned some of his defensive shortcomings, which is natural for a big playing in the NBA in his, what, 14th, 15th game. Uh, 35 points, 12 of 16, got to the line frequently as always, 11 and 13 uh, from there. Something I just looked up. Other than Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo, Zion Williamson is third in the NBA right now in points uh, per 36 and rebounds per 36. He's somewhere around 30 points and eight and a half rebounds. So uh, what what do you think is the ceiling for him just 14 games into his career, Ollie? Well, we're seeing him play to his strengths, and it's smart that the coaching staff and his teammates are looking for him and going to him right where he should be catching the ball or doing most of his work. And that, of course, is around the rim. Because as we saw, especially last night, right, just take last night's game. He had six turnovers. And a lot of them came with, you know, having to dribble the ball, having to uh, basically go around players to where one, on one play, he drove and went right into the midsection of Kyle Kuzma, who I thought he may have, you know, basically killed. Because the way Kuzma hit and then bounced off favors on the back end, man, you thought maybe this guy's done for the game. But he got up. Good for him. But still, Zion, you know, he's still a bull in the china shop. He is got so much talent and athleticism and all this skill um, to be successful, but at times it gets out of whack, and we saw that last night. So the ceiling for him, of course, is he's got he's got to add more to his game, playmaking, knowing to make a read, knowing when to make a, and being able to make a change in direction. 
And of course, you know, adding, you know, an outside shot to where the Pelicans offense can be spread because he's in the game. Let's face it, it does cut down on the driving lanes. It really hurts a guy like I think like B.I. in that instance to where he becomes more dependent on looking for that three point shot. But I think it's all going to work out in the long run. Like I said, this is the first step. It's getting him acclimated to the NBA game and playing to his strengths, which you're doing because let's face it, this guy's an animal. He's such an efficient beast. You would be, it would be criminal for the Pelicans not to go to him in all these spots around the rim. All right, Grub. Uh, I accidentally introduced you before you were uh, on the air with us. Welcome. Ha- happy anniversary, sir. Thank you. Thank you. 12 years, man. It's good good, good to get that far. It's dirty dozen. Woo! Congratulations, man. That's awesome. And you guys are still going strong. Looks like you're a great dad, pet parent. Uh, you got it all going on right now. How's life, man? It's good. The, uh, the the ship for the show from 10 to noon has been great. Um, more opportunities coming my way. Been doing some uh, play-by-play and color commentary. Uh, doing a high school game tomorrow for the Louisiana high school playoffs. So, yeah, it's, it's, things have, have been really uh, exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it right now. I really think, and, and I think it's part, you guys are a testament to that because you've helped me and boosted it. Um, I really believe that, that the, the group that we have, whether it's at the Bird Right and, and on this podcast and then me doing my show, um, with, the, with the potential that this town has, and I hate to get us off track a little bit, but, you know, the Saints are about to go through a big transition. The biggest athlete in New Orleans is going to be Zion Williamson for the foreseeable future. The Pelicans have a chance to be one of the better teams in the NBA for the foreseeable future. What we do and what I do on the mainstream part of it we have a chance to really make and shape the way people view basketball in New Orleans. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that. And, and the fact that you guys have embraced me since the first time y'all brought me on. Well, I think I could speak for the group saying that we're, we're so proud and privileged to have you on the team. And I'll put Ali Cosell up there with you. I think you guys are the two hardest working men in town in terms of educating the, the general public about the higher standards of basketball and what the Pelicans bring to it. So uh, kudos to you, sir. It, it, it seems like every time we talk to you, you're accomplishing something new, some new wonderful thing, talking to someone new, rubbing shoulders with somebody new. So it's it's only up and up from here, man. So congratulations to you. Congratulations to Ollie, who's always killing it. Kevin, I know it's got great stuff coming from, um, I, I, I can't pronounce it either. I think it's homage, but uh, we've got some really fun stuff that Kevin's designing coming through the pipeline uh, soon. So let's get back into basketball. Uh, I definitely want to get your take on Lonzo Grub, but before we get to Lonzo, we were just briefly talking about Zion, what his ceiling is. And I was having a, a DM conversation with somebody saying, hey, we really need Zion to add a jump shot. We knew, really need him to help space the floor more. My counter to that was he's taking 85% of his shots at the rim. They're all good looks. He's converting about 65% of them. He's scoring more per 36 than anyone but Giannis and Luka. What part of Zion's offensive game do you think he needs to work on? It, it- I think Ollie and I talked about this a little bit earlier. It's just uh, on my show. It was just a, uh, you know, it's the ball handling, it's the decision making, it's knowing when. You know, there were a couple of times last night where it just seemed like, you know, it's just understanding his spacing. There's something I think subtle, like there was a pass that he caught at half court, um, and he just kind of allowed the trap to catch up to him, and then he tried to dribble into it, and it's just he's got to understand, you know, passing ahead when you see the trap go to where the vacancies are. And those are the subtleties of the game that he's never had to deal with. When did you have to do, when did he have to do that in high school? When did he have to do that at Duke? When you're so much better than other people. And that's the biggest thing that I think people have to remember about today's NBA is that so many of these kids come in with one really, their offensive skill set is usually really refined because that's what they do. When they play in AAU, when they play in high school, when they play in college, they're given the keys of the kingdom offensively. But they never had to really do the subtle things in a game. And that's the biggest thing for Zion to me is just the energy's there, the intensity's there, the desire is there, and the, uh, obviously the physical tools are there. It's just learning how to play the game of basketball as a professional. And that is a huge jump for anybody. But as we see, offensively, as far as him, the touch, his knowing where his, his, his spot is and getting to it, as long as he can understand that he can't do two, more than two dribbles right now to get to those spots, and as long as he understands that not to force anything 
because there were a couple of shots last night. And again, when you shoot 12 and 16, you're, you're nitpicking. But there were a couple of shots last night, Ollie, you remember, where it's just like, why are you taking that shot? Like, he mm-hmm. just wanted to get it up when he could have gotten it back out to reset and get better post position. And so he doesn't have, he may not have to work as hard, even if he is making that many shots. I think that's what he's going to learn next is how to make it a little easier for himself. Nice. All right. I think we're back over to Kevin. So Kevin, let's, let's just round about before we get into individual performances, obviously every game uh, matters at this point. With that being said, the Pelicans 14, their last 15 games are against opponents under uh, 500. So that's really when they need to make a run. But just in terms of your perspective with the Timberwolves coming, the Mavericks coming, the heat coming, uh, the, the Kings coming, what do you want to see from this team on a per night basis, other than just wins and losses and, and locking up that eighth seed? Well, like I alluded to a little bit earlier, you want to see Zion start to grow as a defender. Um, You want to see better defense from him. If Jackson Hayes gets minutes, you want to hope that he also, you know, learns some team defense and even some uh, individual one-on-one defense because he's really been lost lately. Um, And, you know, outside shooting, somebody needs to step up and hopefully with JJ out, it means that Etwan will get more minutes and hopefully it also after last night spells the end of the Frank Jackson experiment where we could just see, you know, Josh Hart and Etwan Moore getting all those minutes because those guys do a whole lot more for you and um, contribute to winning. And I think at that point, you're, you're going to start to tighten your rotation anyway, heading into a playoff run. So you want to see those guys get the minutes and get used to playing together and, you know, figuring out what to do, and, and something that um, Grubb and Fish talked a lot about on the Lakers preview podcast, I also agree with, is Alvin finding a way to play his starters together more, fixing the rotations to where it's easier for them to get back and play with that five-man un- unit that's very dominant um, because the way the minutes are handed out right now, he's finding it hard to get back to the the starting rotation a lot of times and keep moments of the game where you really need it. Um, so I think that's something that's very important as well. All right. We're back to Ali. Ali, you still got time, sir? Yeah. Until the phone rings. Oh, All it's right. ringing. Oh, it's ringing. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right. We'll go over to Grub. Uh, we've got a lot of questions about Lonzo Ball. Came dangerously close to uh, 20, 10, and 10 triple-double last night. Was uh, electric offensively in transition, running faster than I had ever seen him run. We've got questions from, uh, I'm just going to do this off the top of my head, David Rose, Finn the Human. Uh, questions like, is is he the, the point guard of the future? Is he a max level player? Uh, do you think he can further unlock the offense? Grub, just just go on a rant. What have you been seeing positively of Lonzo? Obviously, you identified him as, as a long-term difference maker for the Pelicans, probably before any of us did. What are you seeing from him uh, in this general emergence, and what is the next step for him? Well, the first thing that you notice about Lonzo is that he's his head is always up. You know, when you see these, you know, last night there were a lot of these comments on Twitter about can Lonzo be the next Saints quarterback? Can he replace Drew Brees? And that's because he is looking ahead so well. And that's something the Ball brothers in general, which is very strange because LaMelo does that as well. But it's, it's that jump starts so much for the Pelicans and gives them matchups in transition. And then I think what we've seen lately is there were three things last night that Lonzo had not really done. But he, he, you know, going end to end was not something that we had seen. He split three defenders on a drive, which was not something that we had seen. And then there was a very subtle play where he had kicked it to Drew on the wing. And it was right in front of the Pelicans bench. Drew set up for three, pump fakes, and drives. Lonzo flashes and gets right to the basket. And Drew hits him with a pass and he lays it in. That's not something we had seen out of Lonzo for most of this season. So I think as his confidence in his body has grown, he's feeling more and more like he can unleash himself, attack, attack. And and I think that mindset, I mean, he even got to the free throw line a good number of times last night. If he can keep that mindset, it changes so much because it allows the Pelicans and Zion and even Ingram, who needs those easy buckets too to kind of fuel him, when those two get out in transition on those wings, if you have Lonzo, Zion, and Ingram on the wings and they're doing it the right way, they're not throwing the ball away on three and ones like they did last night, that is almost – who wants to stop that? 
because you're going to deal with 67285 on one side and 69 with a 7 foot reach on the other side and it, I, I just think that the potential for them as a group and then defensively again three steals last night another block shot let's talk about the fact that since Zion came in and this is not to denigrate Zion Zion has five blocks total since he's played Lonzo's picking up almost a block every night and so to have that length as a guard to be able to deter shots is also something the Pelicans have not had people who are able to do because they've been stuck with the six foot three and under group for so long. So he adds dimensions that this team does not have anywhere else on the court. And he's just so versatile in that capacity. Even when he is not shooting well, he can contribute. But I thought last night's performance was much better than the Cleveland performance. You know, when people talk about he made one shot and that was one of the best performances of his career. I thought, you, you know, you listen to Alvin the way he described Lonzo after that game where he said, well, that's what we expect out of our point guard. Last night, I think, was much more in line of where they want to see him. The two points, five points, that's, that, that, they need him to contribute double figures. And, and last night he was so aggressive in doing that that it was, it was very impressive. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's talk about the shared backcourt between Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball. Uh, We've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, Kevin, I I want you to further... uh, uh, I, I don't know, explain it. Uh, right now, uh, Lonzo is averaging 8.6 assists per 36 over the past 15 games. Drew Holiday is at 8.7 right now. They're both sharing the ball very, very well. However, in games like last night, we, we've kind of seen uh, Drew Holiday shirk from the moment. Uh, just 10 shots on the night. Obviously, could have used a bit more production from him in that realm. But we've also seen him explode for 36 points. Uh, what is the challenge the Pelicans are facing right now in terms of finding some consistency from him? I don't like, okay. Drew has definitely have been a, has been a model of inconsistency offensively for his entire Pelican career. Um, But I think, you know, you look at him more harshly in that sense because of the history, but like um, lately I've been, Trevor's been coming over to watch uh, away games with me a lot. And we were talking about this the other day and it's like, you really only need two of your big guys on one night to produce and the other guy could take the back seat. And as long as they're taking turns doing that and nobody feels like they're getting asked out um, of the, of that situation, it doesn't really matter because you really only need those two dominant performances and then everybody else works off of that. So I don't get that concerned about it, but I guess always you're going to react stronger when it's drew is the one that it takes the step back just because of the history and how much we've had to rely on him in the past. Whereas now the reality is you don't need to rely on him as much anymore to get that offensive production. When you get it, it's great. And if he were more consistent with it, great. But now you have guys that are there. You have Zion, you have Ingram, you have Lonzo contributing some nights, some nights JJ scores 20, Um, you know, so I don't worry about it as much because Drew also is always going to give you that defense that you need and, in just some other intangibles that help help the team. You know, obviously if he's making mistakes in crunch time, like that old Drew that we see creep up sometimes, then you really start to panic again. If he can just clean that up and every now and then fade away offensively and every now and then be the guy that, that uh, takes over a game, that's all you really need from him. You don't need him to be a 20, 25 point scorer every night. I don't mind those nights where he shifts to 10 points a night, especially if he's, carrying a heavy load uh, defensively. Like last night, he didn't really, it it wasn't like the first matchup with the Lakers where he was matched up on LeBron all the time where you didn't expect him to score a lot um, because all the work he was putting in defensively. But, you know, there's going to be nights when he's got that assignment where you you just can't ask that much of him because of the energy he has to exert. But now we have a lot of offensive threats. So I, you know, I don't really worry about it as much. 
Rob, let's get emotional for a moment. Uh, I'm sure you probably saw Drew Holiday and Lore Holiday's wonderful video on ESPN yesterday. And and so often we as fans and those who who cover the New Orleans Pelicans, we we have such fun, you know, imagining transactions or or what the proper fit is. But at what point does who you are as a human being uh, become elevated over what you produce on a basketball court? Obviously, Drew Holiday produces a lot for you on the basketball court, but we're we're constantly imagining these dream scenarios where we're trading him for X. Y and Z, but at what point do you see the man he is, the way that J.J. Redick addressed him as his favorite player on the team, his favorite friend on the team, you you see the effect he has on the younger players. At what point is that so much more important than, than let's say, his on-court fit or what we think we need from that position? I, it's not the friend business, and that's the hard part, is because, yes, Drew is, is the ultimate professional. He is a team guy. Um, the problem, you know, is that you have to take everything into consideration. You have to take dollars. You have to take production. You have to take age. All those things matter at this point. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't think any of us are 100% on Drew leaving. I think if you can find someone who is better, then you do it, and that's just standard NBA practice. Um, but, yeah, I, I, let me do those two separate things. First, let's, uh, as a player, um, I think – you really have to start thinking about when a guy gets to 30, 31, and your core is in its 20s, if he's not going to be one of your top three players, and which I don't think Drew is going to be one of the top three players going forward, this has to be Lonzo, Ingram, and Zion's team. So if Drew's going to be your fourth guy in his 30s, that $20 million plus is a hard number to, to swallow. Um, if he's willing to take less and change his role, then – it becomes a different story and you can start talking about those things. But yeah, the, the intangibles are great. Yeah. He, he works hard. He shows up. He is a great teammate. He, he, you know, he's willing to give people advice and he's steady in, emotionally in that regard. But you look at his numbers this season across the board and he's posting, it's been a two year trend now of him being significantly worse um, offensively not just inconsistent, but significantly worse. And that's a problem for a team that needs him to be steady. If he, if he were leveled out in his production, that's one thing, but he has, he's regressing at the wrong time, um, especially considering he's about to enter the last year of his contract. Um, but as a person, yeah, watching the story with him and Lauren, if you're not moved by that, then you're not a human being, I don't think. Um, it's just the dedication of a person to his family and to his wife and, and just knowing that there are things bigger than playing games and understanding that. And I think fans need to remember that these are people. And we, you know, I constantly try to remind people of that, that they're not just there for your amusement. They have the same problems that we have. They go through life and they have challenges off the court and they have to bring those things into the office just like we do. And some of those things can affect you. And I think he's done an exceptional job over the years of not allowing all the things that have swirled around, not just him personally, but this organization to drink, bring him down. It's just that, again, going forward, if he is going to continue to regress, what is his value to the Pelicans? For sure. Well said. Kevin, let's transition to questions now. We got a lot of great questions. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate uh, the help on this and uh, appreciate the the excitement level of everybody getting this this many questions generally uh, translates as, as a very excited fan base. And we appreciate all of your help. Uh, this one, I, actually, I'm going to start with this one. This one's kind of fun. Uh, Tejeda stayed true to his uh, to his style. He gave us three questions this time, Kevin. And his third one is, how has it been dealing with the increase in Pelicans Twitter trolls this season? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a kind of the kind of person who doesn't really care about that stuff. Like I am who I am. I say what I say. I think what I think. If you have something that changes my mind or you come with a an interesting argument or a different look than I thought about, I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say. If not, you can call me all the names in the world and I really don't care. So like, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, what's funny is like, from last season, I had I made a joke. I forget what the situation was, but it was something to do with Kendrick doing something, and Ingram had like a really bad game. And I, it was like during the talks when they were when they were trying to. It was still before the trade deadline when they were 
trying to uh, strong arm us into making the Lakers trade. And I joked that uh, I wouldn't trade Kenrick Williams for Brandon Ingram. It was a joke in context back then. But every few days, some Lakers fan apparently searches my timeline for anything I've said about Brandon Ingram. And even though like there's glowing things about Ingram going back way before even the trade, they always bring that one out and, and retweet it. And it's just funny to me, like, man, like you spent that time doing that for what? Like, I don't really care. I mean, it was a joke, but like, it's clearly, I mean, even though I guess it's not clearly a joke because it's out of context of the time frame. Like, I'm not going to go and delete it. Like, I don't care. But it's just funny to me that people waste their time doing that. But um, as far as affecting me, it doesn't affect me at all. I don't really care. No, that's pretty much exactly how I feel. Every time it happens, I think to myself, number one, thank you for driving traffic to my Twitter handle. Number two, I, I can't believe how much time you're you're probably spending, you know, scrolling through my timeline, searching keywords, that sort of thing. So I, I generally feel the exact same way. Uh, this is for Grub. Uh, this one is actually about Zion and back-to-backs. Earlier, uh, Griff said they were going to try to uh, stay away from it. However, they were going to respond to how his body responded to playing. And right now, he's still generally averaging around 29 minutes per game, although he played 33 against the Lakers. They've got a back-to-back this week. Would you expect to see him in both games, Grub? Yes, I would. Um, you know, he's, they've been able to do a good job of, of managing him. Um, some of the minutes have been, you know, I think we're down because they had a couple of nice wins where he didn't have to play heavy minutes. Uh, and at this stage, now it's unless they, I mean, I'm sure the Pelicans medical staff is still monitoring everything with Zion. Um, but I expect them to play. They know, again, you, you put the fan base now where they are expecting a playoff run. They're expecting you to win these games. And unless it's, unless it's an opponent that you just feel like hey we don't really have a shot tonight then let's just sit him um then then yeah but i, I think that they they're not going to sit him i think they, especially if these games you know the televised games are always going to be an issue with the nba um if he's a, they're not going to allow him to be a healthy sit uh and ultimately i just i, I don't see how they can now um keep him on the bench during back to back the way he's performing offensively. You can't just take that efficiency off the floor because there's no one on the roster who will come close to replacing it. And if you're giving Jackson Hayes, again, 15 minutes to take over Zion minutes, or you're giving Nicola Melli starting minutes where we, he is not going to produce as well, I think those, those you're just giving away a game. That's basically what you're doing at this stage, and they can't give away games. Now, the Pelicans play the Minnesota Timberwolves at home tomorrow night on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, short trip, just going to Dallas. Uh, probably about a one-hour flight, I, I would imagine, on the on the team plane, maybe two. Um, and that's going to be at 9.30. So uh, a full, like, I don't know, 25 hours later, short trip. So you would imagine if he's healthy, uh, they would probably lower his minutes, I'd imagine, somewhere around, like, you know, 27 to, to 30 minutes on both nights. But, yeah, I, I would hope he would play in both those games, too. Uh, Kevin, oh, by the way, that one was from Tanner Watson. Great question, Tanner. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm actually going to tackle this next one. This is from State of Frustration, which is a hilarious (laughs) handle given uh, the nature of this question. He said, can we get an intervention for Gentry with playing Frank? He was kind of a disaster last night. And Kevin touched upon this earlier. And I'm just going to tackle this one. Whether we're talking about Frank, Nikhail, Jackson Hayes, and any of these young players, none of them, in my opinion, are being put in a position to succeed when they get these spot minutes. These aren't veteran players. Uh, we like to think of Frank as a third-year veteran, uh, but he's he hasn't played a, a full season's worth of games. He's only five months older than Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but just lumping the three of them together, if you don't give them consistent minutes, even on one night, giving them 15 to 20 minutes, you're not putting them in a position to succeed. No player can thrive as a 10th or 11th member uh, of a rotation on any given night if you are if there is a reason to play 10 to 11 players it's got to be circumstantial like uh foul trouble injuries uh in a case of desperation like let's say you've got no specific matchup for lebron james and you're like hey let's just try kenrich williams against him see how it goes those are just an example but those are specific examples where that kind of thing works putting mikhail alexander walker into a game for three minutes isn't a good idea at this juncture of his career, whether it's he, Frank, or Jackson Hayes. I don't think they're being put in a position to succeed. So just remain patient with these guys, okay? They're not getting the opportunities to really okay. succeed. Go ahead. I got Jackson Hayes is different from the others. I'm sorry. You got Jackson has been given plenty of minutes this season, plenty of minutes. 
he's had games where he's played 20 plus minutes. Jackson is just, he's not ready for him. Now you could, I, I can see what you're saying about the other ones. We can disagree on, on whether or not they should get them, but I, I can see what you're saying about Nikhil getting into system minutes and getting pulled up and down. But I can't include Jackson in that group. I just cannot because he's such a disaster defensively that I, I, I don't see how you could justify playing him regular minutes. My defense firm, Jackson Hayes, would be a little different from them in that before the season, uh, David Griffin was very clear that he wanted to redshirt him. He didn't want to play him this year. And that's my point. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. Uh, he performed very well in summer league. I can't remember his preseason uh, performance, but due to the nature Awful. of injuries to both Zion and to Derek Favors, they really had no choice beyond him and Ja, and both of them were playing um, in many games. So it, it was more a situation where his hand was forced. Could the Pelicans have brought in a veteran big? Yes, of course they could. Yeah, um, yeah and and you know that might be something that they end up regretting if they do fall short of the playoffs. But it, it seems like Ali, you're back. Yes, sir. Oh, welcome back. Okay, so Nicolo Melli, I'm going to pull up his numbers right now, and then I'll address uh, who who gave us the question. Thank you so much for that. Okay, here we go. Nicolo Melli is up to 10 points per game in the last 15 games, 51% from the field, 46% from three-point range, uh, five rebounds, and about one and a half assists in just 20 minutes per game. Talk about his future. Obviously, he's a 28-year-old rookie. Do you look at him as a long-term rotational piece, or is he just filling a void right now that the Pelicans are going to hopefully fill going forward? He has shown enough to me, without a doubt, uh, um, since basically the turn of the year, to where he has proven that, hey, I can be a little more aggressive, and hey, my goodness, I can drop bombs like the best among the best in the league. So that in itself is going to create a spot for him on a decent team to where he's going to see rotation minutes, and I'm more than happy with it. But I've also noticed, and, and we should be taking um, factor, factoring in the fact that he is also now doing some other things on the court. He is now not only just looking to shoot the three. When he's got a lane, he's been driving it, taking it to the rim. He is now making some passes. He is not suddenly such a ball stopper out there like he was in, say, November when he had lost all his confidence. And now defensively, he's, he's showing a little fight. I was absolutely in love with that little scuffle he had with Dwight Howard for a few minutes where they were both basically exchanging elbows. Um, he was making sure Dwight Howard was not going to get to the offensive glass, throwing all his weight into it. And that's all you want to see. If he can just do all that type of stuff, then he's most certainly deserving of a spot, like I said, of this roster and of his contract, which honestly could basically look like a good deal, um, really a steal at some point next season. All right, great stuff. That question was from Daniel Harris. Thank you, sir. Uh, we've gotten a bunch of Lonzo questions, which I think we've addressed. Thank you to Finn the Human and David Rose. Um, Kevin, uh, regale us on your favorite Zion performance uh, so far this season. This is from Bristantine Nero. And likewise, what? Uh, okay, we addressed the Lonzo part. So just talk about the most impressive Zion performance thus far, in your opinion. I'm going to say, like, I saw this question earlier, so I, I thought about it a little bit um, beforehand. And there's been a lot of, you know, I mean, you say there's a lot of means barely played any games, but there's been a lot of incredible performances offensively, especially um, for him so far. But I think my favorite and the most impressive thing that I saw was actually in his first game, the fourth quarter of his first game against the Spurs. It was just like an unbelievable explosion. And being in the arena, being there, like the air was just filled with energy. I, I, I assume Ali and David, you were both there, I believe. Like, I don't know if you, like, I just felt like I could grab the air. It was so full of kinetic energy in that fourth quarter where the crowd was just so excited. And then, the, you know, him just knocking down threes and just dominating in the paint. It was just an unbelievable experience. And I, it's like, I'm trying to remember another experience like that in the arena that I've been to. And I guess it would be, you know, maybe during the Portland series, there was some times where it felt like that, but um, it was just a really um, like it, it was just an overload of your senses almost. Being yeah. It reminded me, Kevin of summer league where we saw Nikhil Jackson Hayes all doing their stuff like minute after minute, sometimes possession after possession. That's what I equated to, you know? You feel like you're, you you can't believe every single thing transpiring transpiring before your eyes. So I I kind of agree with you. Yeah, yeah I mean, opened up your eyes to his potential I mean, in just that very first game. And then just the air was just like charged with like positive ions or something. It was crazy. Like I don't know if you could. Did, did you guys feel that all the way up where you guys oh, sit yeah. in the North Pole? It was yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
let's let's keep this going, Grub. Uh, obviously, a full time member of the media, but uh, down down to our soul, we are just true lovers of the game. What has it felt like just watching his emergence with the Pelicans? You know, I'm. I guess I, I've been looking at. You know, I am a person who looks at the oldest stuff possible in basketball. The oldest film I can find, I've been one of those people. And I love players that change the dynamic. And in an era where people keep trying to minimize post-play, that's the thing that inspires me most about Zion. I love low post-play. And he is bringing that physicality back to the NBA. And guys are not ready for that. And I think that that advantage for him is incalculable because people don't know how to defend the post in general anymore. People are afraid of contact right now. And Zion already has exceptional footwork down low. He can inspire an entire generation of young people who watch him play and say, I want to murder people on the block. I want to dunk on people. I want to get the get rebounds. <laughs> I want to get rebounds. I want to uh, dominate. And I think he, he absolutely can be a transformational player in that regard, the same way LeBron brought passing back, the same way, you know, um, Jordan brought this idea of being both a top scorer and a champion, which hadn't really happened in the NBA. I think Zion can be that kind of presence. So that's what I really love about watching him play. I like that a lot because, like, it's also, like, you know, what Steph Curry did for the three-point shot is kind of what Zion could do. And um, Trevor and I have talked about this a lot, too, hanging out, watching games. It's just, like, when a team is built totally different than how everybody else is, in the reg- you're always going to be guaranteed regular season success. And I-, I heard Chris Vernon echo this the other day on the Ringer podcast talking about the Rockets in the sense that nobody's built – to defend that and you don't practice uh you don't game plan during the regular season for teams because you don't have the time so you're always going to have that regular season success when you're built different and then you know playoffs become a different animal because you have that time you're playing against each other you can try different things you have time to game plan and figure things out um so it doesn't necessarily uh lead to a postseason success maybe but um, just being that outlier that nobody is ready for is is just a fun thing to be around as well. All right. I can't remember where I, I left mean, off. Oh, go ahead. I just, it's almost the, I, the idea that they had with Boogie and AD. Right. That's what yeah. Trevor and I talked about. It's how we kind of blew that in a sense that we could have been very different, but they didn't play it the way that it should have or, you know, injury. Right. Before. Neither one of them wanted to be the dominant presence inside. Cousins had that ability, but he didn't utilize it enough. Zion is going to park his behind on the block over and over again. And that's why, you know, when people minimize the contributions of a guy like a Derek Favors, and yes, you'd love to see the Pelicans get a stretch big for that second unit. But you can have two bigs working together in the post as long as they're smart enough to understand spacing. And that's why you don't see problems with them offensively when they're on the floor. So I think you can play those two bigs. And Zion being a different kind of big, you can. You, Alvin still has the ability to do these things that he wants to do. And I thought it was interesting after the first Lakers game, again, to hear, hear, Al, um, to hear LeBron say what they're doing with him is perfect for his skill set. For LeBron to say that, a guy who thinks about style of play, I thought it was interesting, and I think that it, whether it's Alvin or not in the future, they know they have to continue to play with tempo with Zion. Let me ask you this, bro. Like, talking that sense, you know, people say, like, you know, you need uh, Zion to develop an outside shot to create spacing. Say, like, say him and Favors were about the same age. Which one would you prefer to have the outside shot developed? I, I For me, I don't really care if Zion really develops an outside shot because I hey. want it to be that – interior dominating force that nobody can handle. I would rather favors have that shot. Yeah. It's not even a question to me because I think, first of all, we've, Ali and I have been to enough practices where we've seen Derek Favors shooting. He shoots them every day, every day. And I keep using the Brooke Lopez example because we're talking about a guy who didn't shoot any threes until three years ago. And 
he, this year he's down, but I think it's, it's it, the situation has been so bad on the glass and defensively that it makes no sense to send favors to the corners. He has to be near the basket for him, for this team to utilize him because they don't do the things that he does. So I think if, if you get players around him um, and around Zion that are different, uh, who can, or, or as this group develops its defensive skills, then I think you will start to see favors in those corners a little bit more shooting threes. Um, but it's, it's, and it doesn't have to be a bunch. I don't want to, you don't want to see favors shooting five threes a game, but if he's taking two or three out there, I think in a year, next year, if he's healthy again, again, people keep forgetting all these things with the Pelicans this year. No training camp really for these guys. No, the health issues. The development's going to be there, but I'm like you. If Zion never shoots a three in his career and he's scoring like this, why, why would I want to change? Yeah, and it's funny when people always bring up Brooke Lopez, too, because, like, look at last year was his best year. He shot six threes a game, but he only shot 36.5%, and you know all of those were wide open. So, like, it's just, like, it, for some reason, like, he gets this sort of stretch five status dumped on him, but he's really not doing that, you know? I mean, nobody really cares. Please take that shot from the outside, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't really get it, get that argument either. All right, y'all, I got to head to work in about uh, 15 minutes, so let me get us out on this. Uh, this is for Ali. Um, it's from Tejeda. Uh, a big thanks to Tejeda, David Rosefin, the human, Jay, Rome, Nola. I think we mostly covered your questions. Uh, and for everybody else who dropped a question as we were doing this, apologies. We'll get to that in the next podcast. This one's number one from Tejeda Ali. It's, does making the playoffs solidify the front office trading the majority of next year's picks? I'm going to rephrase this, uh, if you don't mind, Ali. How... How will the, the the Pelicans finish to the season affect what they do this offseason? Hmm. I want to say very little, simply because we have seen all the development that I've wanted to see. I've seen enough time with Zion and this current group to where I am very comfortable in seeing them return this product back to uh, New Orleans with just maybe a, a couple of roster changes. Nothing significant I re- feel like is really necessary. So, yeah, to answer your question, I don't foresee David Griffin needing to make an overhaul at any position. So you've got youth in, in the wings. And so, yeah, with, with the, all these upcoming draft picks, I mean, it's obvious the Pelicans are going to use them all. They've already got, like, like I've mentioned and we've all mentioned in the past, that they've, they've got depth up and down this roster. Plus they got Didi over there in Australia, who, by the way, had a heck of a game winner. I heard he had a heck of a final six minutes in the uh, Sydney Kings' first playoff win in their first round series. So, if he's all of a sudden looking like he can play substantial NBA minutes, you got to make space for him too. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that Griff's going to do anything big. So that you got to, you hope that he can package away most of these picks and really upgrade and just grab one pick or maybe move back for in further years. Kevin, how confident are you that the Pelicans can win? Uh, I think it's 15 of the remaining games in order to finish 500. I'm pretty confident in that, even though like I, I don't necessarily me- think that that means that we're going to be in the playoffs just because of everything else around us. But I'm really not that scared of many teams outside of like the top five. You know, I I feel like we can match up with anybody. The style of play we play is unique and different. And we have like that different weapon that we've just talked about. So um, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in us um, having a really good record heading into the uh, postseason. Uh, Grub, obviously, we're very excited about our young core. Give me one player of, it can be of your choosing, one player with one specific skill or performance that you would like to see them improve upon on our last 20 or so games. So the, the one thing for me, then, is if, if I had to choose one thing, it's, it's uh, Zion's defense. That's the one thing. If he can become an adequate defender the rest of the way, that that changes the dynamic for this team. That's the one thing I do. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get us out. Remember, you can follow Ali at Ali Cosell, Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce, David at DM Grub. Uh, remember, if you like what you're hearing, just retweet, share, rate us on iTunes. If you already have, we greatly appreciate it. Now just grab your neighbor's phone and do it on their phone uh, too. It helps us so much. Ali, tell us about what you're working on. I'm working on thinking about how we're going to keep you sane and getting you enough sleep soon, right? <laughs> you've got a baby that's just around the corner. You've got a wife that's more than ready to, 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 to spit the little sucker out. 
So yeah, we already know how busy you are in your life, and it's great that you can still do podcasts and join us every now and then. So I just want to make sure that we can keep that going here once you've got the little demon at home. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Let's swing it over to Kevin. Obviously, you're at work with Homage on some graphic tees. Do you want to tell us about that or anything else you're working on? Uh, well, that's uh, very early in the process. I'm about to get back to the emailing them to sort of work that out. But yes, uh, they have reached out to us about teaming up and doing some uh, revenue sharing and idea sharing on designs for t-shirts that will be in the Pelicans uh, team shop, as well as other pop-ups and available on their site, things like that, um, which I'm about, as soon as we end this podcast, I'm going to dive back into that email and start working out more details on that. Um, other than that, personally, um, I designed a record that's coming out on Friday. That's very good. It's called, uh, for a band called the Pairs. It's their third full length on fat records, which is, um, you know, growing up like I did where I was like a teenager in the early mid nineties, um, and was very involved in the punk rock community and hardcore community. Um, designing a record that's on fat records, one of the premier, uh, punk rock labels of that time is, you know, very exciting for me. Um, I think it's a good record. I think the art looks really good. So if you, uh, if you have any kind of interest in punk hardcore, or maybe even metal music, uh, you might want to check that out. It'll be streaming obviously on all the streaming sites and then uh, 12 inch vinyl will be out uh, Friday and they're playing their opening show for their world tour, March 27th. It's a Friday at bank street bar. They're touring the entire world unless like the coronavirus starts messing up their plans, but um, they'll be in Australia, Europe, all over America, Canada. So um, look for them as well. Sweet. Last but not least, David Grubb. Uh, like I said, calling a high school playoff game tomorrow. Um, got the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference basketball tournament this weekend. And I am writing two stories today, one on Mahmoud Abdul-Rahim's jersey retirement and another on just kind of talking about some of these things uh, with Zion Williamson, like balancing, just trying to balance out the hype with the things, the, the trials of being 19 years old. So I'm doing a lot. And of course, the show. And I'm trying to work on closing a couple of really big interviews. So as soon as I get those, um, I will let folks know, but yeah, just they're big names. So just keep your fingers crossed um, because we just want to make, I, I really want to make hard to pay the, the best show um, it can possibly be. And, and I'm just thankful to everybody who listens and supports it. That's amazing stuff. I think I've got the preview tonight for the Timberwolves. So make sure to check that out on the birdrights.com. I'm Preston Ellis. Thanks for listening. Let's dance and let's go Pels. listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today